Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. Last year at this time, I read an article that caught my attention, clickbait probably, but the, the, the title was striking, Go Ahead, Pray for Putin's Demise. So of course I clicked, <laughs> curious. I also recognized the author, Tish Harrison Warren. She said she had been grappling with all these images that had come to her attention last year as Russia invaded Ukraine. And she was trying to put all her feelings together. And I feel like what she wrote is so applicable in many more situations than we probably even want to recognize. But when power is used to oppress, harm the innocent, we have a lot of feelings. So let me read a few of her thoughts. I couldn't pick just one quote, so I'm going to read you a few paragraphs here. What do I do with this anger and heartbreak? I find myself turning again and again to the imprecatory psalms. An imprecation is a curse. The imprecatory psalms are those that call down destruction, calamity, and God's judgment on enemies. Honestly, I don't know what to do with them. I'm often uncomfortable with the violence and self-assured righteousness found in these kinds of psalms. But they were made for moments like these. These psalms express our outrage about injustice unleashed on others, and they call on God to do something about it. Here's an example of one of the psalms that she mentions, Psalm 35, written by David. It says, May their path be dark and slippery, and the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. So very descriptive powerful images. And Tish finished her article by saying, the imprecatory psalms name evil. They remind us that those who have great power are able to destroy the lives of the weak with seeming impunity. This is the world we live in. We need words to express our indignation at this evil. Very often, the imprecatory psalms were asking that people's evil actions would ricochet back on themselves. We're not praying that violence begets more violence or that evil starts a cycle of vengeance or retaliation, but we are praying that people would be destroyed by their own schemes. And she said, I still pray daily and earnestly for Putin's repentance. I pray that Russian soldiers would lay down their arms and defy their leaders. But in this moment, to take up imprecatory prayers as well. This is a moment when I'm trusting in God's mercy but also in his righteous, loving, and protective rage. This was written last year. It could be written at any point in history about probably every country in the world at some point. At some point, power has been abused, and we can relate to this indignation, probably more so by the things that don't make the news and yet that we have witnessed. There is always evil to cry out against and a sense of indignation. But justice isn't always swift. The tension is in that timing. This article could have been written 
in the days of the book of Exodus, as God's people Israel were crying out under oppression, slavery, the systematic attempts by leaders to break them down. So far in our study in the book of Exodus, we've met some folks. We've read about Moses and how he became the unwitting leader of this freedom attempt. Last week, we lamented from the perspective of the community of Israel, and we mourned for those even in our midst today, people who are hurting, who are harmed. We lamented our own brokenness. So thank you for participating in that special service with us. Today, we're taking a look at Pharaoh himself, the villain in our history. As we keep hearing about Egypt's power used as a weapon, we may feel the same desire to pray imprecatory prayers upon his head. And perhaps that's similar to what the Israelites were crying out for, to God. Groaning, we read, because they were in agony. But now we're at the part of the narrative where God says he's ready to turn Pharaoh's evil actions back onto himself, just like that psalm we read. But not quite yet. Yahweh's timing is always a mystery. It's intriguing. But he's going to have more of a conversation again because he's going to send Moses and Aaron to have a few more words with Pharaoh. So let's take a look at Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as Yahweh commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. We mentioned Moses' age a few weeks ago. That's where we get it. We talked about it a little earlier. Let's talk about Pharaoh. We've said it's not a name, but a title of the king of Egypt. And they were considered gods, not just leaders. And while historians like to puzzle out who might be the different pharaohs mentioned here in the book of Exodus, there's something poignant about not knowing their names. If you recall, it's not the same pharaoh that asked Shifra and Pua to kill the babies upon birth. Not that Pharaoh that then told all the Egyptians to throw the children into the Nile River. This is a new king. Yet the actions of hatred is carried on. This king's leadership, he had ample opportunity to change the course. And yet we read about him degrading the Israelites, calling them lazy because they wanted to worship for three days out of so many years of labor. They just wanted to worship Yahweh. He made their work more harsh as a result. He subjugated rather than helped the people he was overseeing thrive. This is the leadership of Pharaoh. We don't even care about his name. Not worthy of mentioning this power that's corrupt. 
is filled with ego and abuse. New Pharaoh, same as the old Pharaoh. These Pharaohs represent the height of human rebellion and corruption externally, internally. So we just get the title. And to say that if this is the power and the way people use power, we can fill in that blank of who they actually were. We learn Yahweh's name. We don't know Pharaoh's. There are two views that we can see about our Lord God, Yahweh, in these verses. On one hand, as we talked a couple weeks ago, God is about partnering with people. And so he goes to Moses and Aaron again. And God brings about amazing signs and wonders. And he's like, I'm doing this through humans. Because we'll find throughout history and even today, you could probably think about prayers that you've prayed. And where do the answers tend to come from? God often uses other people in our lives. He works through people. He partners with us. He said, I've made you and you are going to help create freedom and grace and glory and honor. We're going to do it together. So God says, yes, I'm freeing my people, but Moses and Aaron, we're a team. And so this is reiterated here. On the other hand, that feels very loving, right? On the other hand, we've got Yahweh saying, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. We've got this phrase. We're going to hear it several times. At times, it's going to be passive. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. At other times, it's going to say, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But here, right at the beginning, Yahweh says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And that doesn't feel comfortable. Pharaoh, what's going on here? Scholars interpret this in different ways. Nuanced. Hardening the heart is a phrase where it's that evil ricocheting back on itself, like that psalm says. And so Pharaoh is now allowed to fall into the pit he has dug. Pharaoh has made his choice. He's not innocent. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, he likes to summarize it this way. Yahweh is accelerating and intensifying the self-destruction of an empire that has already chosen its way forward. This is Yahweh's way of turning Egypt's self-destruction into a demonstration of his character and his power and his honor. So perhaps this hardening and why Yahweh would be involved is like, this is going to happen. I'm going to make this timing work for my timing. And just accelerate the freedom for God's people. Other scholars would prefer to emphasize that God is involved less directly because he doesn't change free will, and that is true. And so God allows everyone to make their own decisions, and Pharaoh has already made a choice. In that aspect, I talked with a friend of mine, and I like the visual that he shared. He likes to picture it as like, God is like taking all of this evil and he has been holding it back. He's been restraining it from its full, horrible effects. And if Pharaoh is choosing to continue in his evil ways, then God says, there it goes. That's the results. I'm going to just let the consequences happen. Because I've been trying to hold back and give you another chance. So I'm letting it go now. I like that, that action, seeing that's the way Yahweh is involved. The evil is never the answer. 
that there's always a chance for good and to bring beauty out of ashes. Yahweh created order. He entrusted humans to care for creation. Pharaoh was made in God's image. He was made to have authority in, over people. He was given that responsibility. And yet, Egyptians and Israelites, he's not treating any of them really great. He is not using his authority well. Everyone's created in the image of God, and yet Pharaoh is using his power to harm that image, and he will be held accountable. God has given some time here, but it's coming to the end. The time is arriving. But let's not miss this, that while Yahweh already knows, he's known this whole time what Pharaoh will choose, and yet Pharaoh gets the opportunity. There's grace here. The timing is grace. Let's keep reading. Exodus 7 verse 8 says, Then Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just what the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Let's talk about staffs and snakes, guys. Okay, this is the kind of staff I wanted to borrow a few weeks ago, but I had a measly tiny stick from my backyard instead. But this looks powerful, right? Okay, it's a cane. It's fine. It's a staff. And leaders in the Bible would have a staff. If you have a staff, you have authority. This is your representation. And so remember when God told Moses, take your staff with you. It was just a simple stick that Moses had used to have authority over sheep. And now God said, you will have authority over my people. And Aaron is also using the staff. So it's supposed to represent not just to God's people, but to Pharaoh. This person is speaking on behalf of Yahweh. He's holding the staff. Now, what was interesting in, about the snake situation, a couple of things. First, let's look at the statues of Egypt. Got a couple up here, and I tried to zoom in on one of them on the right there. Because you always see them wearing, like, headdress. Well, if you look up top and, and zoom in there, and you can kind of see, that's actually a snake up there. They wear this cobra, this, like, standing cobra. It was a goddess in Lower Egypt. And by wearing that, it was showing that they had imperial authority in Egypt. And it was also just kind of like a stay-back enemies, threatening kind of style that they're going for here. But pharaohs are going to also have that atop sometimes their scepter that they're holding, their staff. So Yahweh is demonstrating power by using the image of a snake. That's what it's going to represent to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. Now to the Israelites, and probably maybe not there at the time, but reading this, when this is written down in a scroll, and they're reading back in the history of their people, what are they going to think of with the snake? Genesis, creation, the enemy. So God is demonstrating authority over that which is the enemy. So the magicians, it says that they did this too. Apparently, 
I went down a little rabbit hole of reading about snakes. And apparently, I guess if you like hold them in the right way around their head, there's a way to paralyze them so that they're kind of stiff. And if you throw them down, then it like stuns them and wakes them up and then they're wriggling around again like that was the magic trick. I was like, I don't know if this is still real today. Please do not harm any snakes. I like snakes. They eat the mice that are in my uh, neighborhood. But this is what they said would have probably been like the trick. Like that's the thing to do. So they're like, yeah, Aaron, you can do that. I can do that too. So then the one staff and snake eats the others. And that was like a, okay, wait a minute. Maybe we're going on a different level here. But I found that fascinating. That's just a side note for your fun for the day. In this moment, God knew the choice that Pharaoh would make. And yet he had the conversation anyway. Yahweh also knows that Pharaoh will eventually let the people go. But he's going to give them 10 more chances. And we know those as the 10 plagues. Yes, we can call them 10 chances. 10 chances to change your mind, Pharaoh. And God is going to present signs and wonders, as he calls it. So we're going to get into those starting next week. But I wanted to do a little overview today just because it's helpful to say, where are we going? If God is giving 10 more chances, it's going to come in a pretty quick succession. It's not, you know, we're at the end. We're almost at this justice taking place. And yet, there's 10 more chances. Let's look at them. We've got 10 plagues. Plagues we tend to think of as diseases maybe in our original definition. It actually still also could mean a thing that irritates And I would say if you look at some of these up here, frogs and gnats and blood and boils, those are irritating, very irritating. Um, God does call them signs and wonders, which sounds a little prettier than the picture actually is. The first nine plagues we're going to look at in groups of three because that is how they are written. And so another fascinating deep dive that I went on this week is that there is a way that creation was presented in six days, but in groups of three And these are kind of acts of like decreation, like God is taking apart some things that he once created, and he's doing it in groups of threes. And so here you've got like the timing happens in the first of each of the three in the morning, and Pharaoh's spoken of being by the waters, by the Nile, and the next two and the second ones in each one, it says just go to Pharaoh. So they kind of visualize this probably, well, Pharaoh's probably in his palace, in his home, Um, and then the last one, it doesn't say anything. And finally, you all will know, um, because we read the word you, but sometimes we said the original language meant like you personally or like y'all, and that's my Kentucky roots coming in, y'all. So y'all will know that I am Yahweh. So God says this at the beginning of each of these three little rounds. So as we go through them the next three weeks, we are going to say, what did these signs and wonders mean to Israel? Like, what symbols and things did they take heart in? Did they take courage that they knew freedom was coming? And what things did the Egyptians see as, whoa, that's threatening to the gods we worship, to our culture? As Yahweh says, I'm revealing myself, not just to Israel, but to the Egyptians too. Everyone's created in God's image. God wants everyone the chance to know him. Each week we are going, we've talked about something about God's character that is revealed in Exodus. Because we tend to think, stereotype, Old Testament angry God, stereotype, New Testament happy Jesus, right? Same God. I have to have that on my own reminder. Same God, eternally 
same characteristics. And what do we find here in this story today? I see both justice and grace. You've heard me use those words throughout this time. And that's a tension because those seem like opposing forces, right? And Yahweh is both. And he presents both. In this story, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Yes, God said, I'm about ready to do some stuff. But also, Yahweh has not ended the conversation. He's giving 10 more chances to do the right thing. Even though he knows the end result, Yahweh always allows his people to make the right choice. Yahweh's timing and conversation is grace amid the justice. Now, Jesus also relates. Jesus was God on earth. So every time that we read in Exodus, we're going to see where, what Jesus lived out and to show us same God. For Jesus' connection this week, what was really on my heart was Judas. Because I think that this idea of Jesus discipling people, he discipled all kinds of people, and he knew whether they were going to stick with them or not, but especially Judas. I mean, he knew he knew the end result that Judas would choose. And yet he spent three years with him. Hours of connection, of friendship. He entrusted Judas to go out and minister in his name, to do miracles. I can imagine them hanging around the campfire, eating fish together, making jokes, just talking about life. They were friends. They were close. And Jesus didn't Stop that from happening, even though his heart would break in the end. That's grace. In Exodus and through Jesus, we see that God keeps giving us chances, humans. But he will also hold everyone accountable. God said, I'm going to free my people, and he does. And so we have to recognize that even in our world today, there's a tension there's justice, and there's grace. And a lot of us probably long for justice for others, grace for ourselves, right? That's how it feels. But the tension that Tish expressed in her article at the beginning, feeling hesitant about praying those imprecatory prayers, yet finding that, you know, that's, that gave her words to her indignation. We're allowed to say that. We're allowed to feel the grace and the justice that we want in this world. And honestly, I don't know if I've ever prayed those psalms out loud for a person. I mean, I've felt some imprecatory thoughts, not going to lie. They're not always biblical. But I feel like I have this personality that's like, hurry, get through that part and get on to the happy, the grace, you know. I pray to God, like, just make it happen, and I don't need to know the details. But maybe some of you are like, I will read some details. I will pray for some dark and slippery paths. I will pray that ruin overtakes people by surprise, right? And that's okay. We can feel that. The words in Scripture are given to us. They're given to us. We can use them. We can pray them. We can ask for God's justice. We can see innocent harmed. But God gets to pick. Yes, no, maybe in a minute. And the timing can be all about even allowing the most horrible person one more chance. Esau McCulley said, God sees us living in the world, 
knowing the things that cause us pain. And if you actually read the Psalms, which themselves are prayers to God, the psalmist often tells God exactly what's going on in his heart and his mind. The thing, though, once we've offered those things to God, he's the one that gets to respond. God gets to respond. So we tend to try to come up with some happy bow to put on things. Today we're going to sit in the tension and just recognize that in our world and in our lives there's justice plus grace. And we all get both. We have to admit that when evil isn't squashed right away, hey, maybe that's that tension of Yahweh's timing and he's given somebody an extra chance. We have to see that we have our own horrible actions at times. We have spoken or been silent. We've acted or not acted. And people have been harmed as a result. There has been things we've all done. And so we have to sit in that tension that there's some justice that God needs to bring to us to hold us accountable. And that's why Jesus died on the cross to take the ultimate justice for our sins. Humans will be held accountable. We're, we need to apologize. We need to confess. We need to go and attempt to mend what is broken. There are things we have to do. And also, Jesus presents us with grace. Again and again. To every person who asks. Every one of us. We all get new chances. So, together, we always say we don't do any of this alone. We are together as a community. Together, let's go before Jesus and honestly admit where we deserve justice. The things going on that just doesn't feel right inside, that's not looking right, that's not looking like Jesus. But let's go together. And let's also go together to call out and say, I trust in this God who looks and decides justice or grace. And I trust the God who came and said, I'll take it for you. That on the cross and in an empty tomb, Jesus brought us justice and grace. Let's pray these prayers together. Let's pray words from Lamentations, if you will. Because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are not consumed by your justice, but we do have mercy new every morning. Thank you for being faithful to who you are. Thank you for holding people accountable. And thank you for giving us second chances. We live in this tension, Lord, but help us to trust in you, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it doesn't look like the way that we would map it out. We come to you, and we say thank you, and help us. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. 
that's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.